Hello and welcome to this special one-off audio feature from Edie which is going to be coming to you live from the big one in London on Friday the 21st of April 2023. You're listening to the voice of Edie's senior reporter Sarah George and I know I'm usually coming to you from the Edie studio but today I'm sat at my dining room and will shortly be catching a train to Westminster for the big one. If you've not heard of The Big One, let's have a brief introduction. Um, The Big One is set to be the UK's largest climate action event since the Fridays for Future Global Climate March in September 2019. Some are describing it as a protest, others as a non-violent direct action, others as a series of processions. In any case, more than 70,000 people representing more than 200 organisations are set to flood Westminster this weekend, demanding science-based policymaking in response to the climate and nature crises. The Climate Change Committee's 2022 annual progress report to the UK Parliament on the net zero transition warned that there are only credible policies in place to deliver around one third of the emissions reductions that the UK is legally obligated to achieve under the Climate Change Act by 2050. And on nature, the UK is in the bottom 10% of countries globally in terms of how intact its biodiversity is. The watchdog, the Office for Environmental Protection, warned earlier this year that the UK is not on track to meet any of its key nature-related targets to improve the state of nature within a generation. Emphasising these policy gaps on the streets of London, just as Parliament returns from the Easter recess, we are expecting a whole range of people this weekend, including students, scientists, parents, doctors, nurses, athletes and business representatives. On the business side of things, I'm going to be making a beeline for the Business Declares gathering, due to take place outside the Department for Energy Security and Net Zero on Victoria Street. Business Declares is convening hundreds of CEOs, sustainability professionals and other business leaders to let policymakers know that, simply put, there is no business on a dead planet and that the private sector is desperate for clear, long-term, science-based green policymaking. I've been told that there's going to be a choir, some dramas, some speeches and all manner of other lovely and noisy things going on today. So hopefully I can intersperse these interviews with some sound bites from the day. But the next time you hear from me, I'll be on the street outside the Department for Energy Security and Net Zero on Victoria Street, vox popping people attending with Business Declares. See you there. So I'm here in Westminster, it's rainier than I expected, it's busier than I expected, there are dozens of people outside Desnes HQ, the Bee Gees are blaring, and though the weather is rubbish, the mood is great, spirits are high, the bus drivers are honking in support, um, and I'm delighted to have for our first guest on this special feature, Ben Tolhurst from Business Declares. Ben, thank you so much. Um, yeah, it'd be great for those listening who aren't aware of Biz Declares to have a potted introduction. Hey Sarah, thank you very much for um, giving up some time to talk to me today, really appreciate it. So Business Declares is a network of business organisations and we uh, exist to help businesses uh, accelerate their climate, ecological um, and uh, uh, social breakdown plans to, to basically make the world a better place, make businesses um, more stable and uh, protect the environment. What we've got here today is 350 plus business leaders who have come down. Now, business people don't traditionally come to protests. Uh, and you might be thinking, well, why, why have they come now? Um, and the answer is this. Um, 
the business community are so frustrated and so outraged by the government's plans to keep licensing fossil fuels. And we need to see an end to that. We need to see an end to that because licensing fossil fuels will create job insecurity, it will create um, difficult market conditions and it will lead to high prices and that will make the business sector very very hard to operate in. Um, but we're not just here for business because we are actually people with children, with families, we care about humanity as well. So most of these business leaders that have come down today have never been to a protest. Some of them have brought their kids, their children. That's how and dogs. they feel. And dogs, yes. <laughs> Lots of dogs. And you mentioned 350 businesses. Could you drop us a few names, give us a flavour of who's here? Yeah, so our network covers um, very many sectors. So I'll, I'll run through a few. So, for example, the finance sector. We have a number of members in the finance sector. Uh, for example, Triodos Bank. Um, the energy sector, a number of members in that. And here today we've got, say, Ecotricity. Uh, we also have members in the food, food and drink sector. So Riverford Organics, Toast Ale, for example. Um, we've also got members in the comms, PR sector, so Greenhouse PR, AG comms, uh, and the list goes on. Great, and the top line ask is clear and the banner is clear, no future in fossil fuels, but is, are there any other specific policy asks or are we keeping it simple for today? Well, for today we're keeping it simple. Um, alongside stop licensing all new fossil fuels, we're also saying to back a transition, the government needs to back a transition to an era where we don't have to rely on fossil fuels. So with stopping one thing, we need to open up another thing, switching the government's uh, investment. So the government spends 10 billion pounds a year, 10 billion pounds a year subsidizing fossil fuels. Is that a good use of money? Surely not. We can, we, can, we can put that into renewables. Renewables are nine times cheaper than fossil fuels. Why would we ever do that? This government's plan is crazy. That makes sense. And obviously energy efficiency as well is on the agenda here today. I can already see a lot of banners that are like, don't be a waster. <laughs> energy efficiency is huge and it's one of the planks of the transition plan that we need to see. The government recently announced it would um, insulate the homes of uh, 300,000 homes a year in the UK. That's 1%. 1%, how long is that going to take? Um, we're nowhere, we're miles off the mark. The government's own advisors have told them that um, their plans are, are not going to be successful, that, the, that every sector in the UK is ill-prepared for the effects of climate change, and yet the government are still doing the opposite of what they need to do. And you mentioned insulating homes, but there seems to be even less of a plan for insulating businesses, and we know SMEs in particular. Yeah, alongside homes, businesses probably um, are, are responsible for all for, for huge amounts of uh, fossil fuel. The built environment itself is about 40% globally. So the whole insulation retrofit is a massive, massive uh, challenge, but it can be done. There, if there is a will and there is a switching of finance, it will create jobs. Businesses are here to act. We are all here full of passion and energy and we want to support this transition. We want to do all the things that need doing, but we can't do them if the government continues to finance new fossil fuel licenses. Well, as you mentioned, Ben, there's so much passion here and as you say, hundreds of business leaders to meet. So I should probably go and do just that. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much.
know I have a lot of business leaders to meet, but I actually have an academic leader to, to meet first. I'm here with Rupert Reid, who um, runs the Climate Majority Project, which I'd love to hear a little bit more about. It's new to me. I'm sure it will be new to the ED listeners as well. So, Rupert, what is Climate Majority Project? What are you guys up to? So, the basic idea of the Climate Majority Project, we used to be called the new moderate flank, is to bring a huge number of people together who are not quite up for even the kind of thing that's happening here at the big one. People who don't think of themselves as activists at all. Ordinary people, business people, professional people. The basic idea is we need a majority to act on climate. It's not the kind of issue that you can solve at an elite or purely technocratic level. In that way, it differs, for example, from the ozone hole in the 1980s, which essentially you could solve by getting a load of governments and companies together. The climate, it affects virtually every single aspect of our lives. So we need, if we're actually going to get serious on this, to have a majority behind it. And the wonderful things that the radical flank and activists have done in recent years, fantastic in raising awareness. Now what we need is follow through on that follow up. That's what we're trying to provide thought leadership for and practical support and facilitation for. Yeah, and we know that there is actually a majority of people in the UK that cares. Like the ONS poll every quarter, it's always about three quarters of people say they're concerned to some level. So is is this just about unlocking that and galvanising that? You've got it there, absolutely, Sarah. There is already a climate majority. The problem is twofold. Firstly, it's not deep enough. People don't actually realise quite how bad the situation is. They don't understand, for example, that 1.5 is not alive. Uh, If you talk to my colleagues, frankly, uh, at the University of East Anglia in private, they'll all tell you that. They don't understand what the breaching of 1.5 is going to mean. They don't understand just how bad the excesses of temperature and of weather that we've seen in the past few years are going to get, how they're going to start affecting food supplies, etc. So there is a need for greater disclosure and greater truthfulness and greater awareness to spread. And secondly, the climate majority needs to be activated. Now, of course, encountering the truth and processing that truth fully, that's the way to activate it. So that's our theory of change, basically. Enable the truth to be told fully, help for that to be processed and handled, and then activate people where they live, where they work, where they pray, wherever they have power, wherever they have, wherever we have possibility. Great, and you mentioned that you work with the University of East Anglia. Are you expecting to see a lot of fellow academics here today? And what is the role of an academic in a protest? I mean, most people probably think of people tucked away looking at books or in a laboratory. Yeah, so right now I teach half-time at the University of East Anglia. As of this summer, I'm actually going to quit academia completely and devote myself completely to the Climate Majority Project. But clearly it is crucial, if anyone has a role in telling the truth, it's academics, not just scientists, all academics. And I would say there is an enormous need for this new moderate flank, this climate majority, to have a powerful academic contingent. So to any academics listening, or indeed anyone who has important information, important understanding to disclose, so that includes civil servants, insurers, uh, political leaders, all kinds of people, to any such person I would say, please, part of what it is for you to step up at this time is to play your part in telling the truth fully. But for academics it goes beyond that as well. It's about doing that in our teaching and in our research. It's also about uh, setting a good example. So for example, I gave up flying a few years ago. It's not the most important thing. 
the most important thing is what action we take together collectively to change things. But the sheer amount of flying that goes on in the academic world does rather make it difficult for academics to be credible thought leaders here. So that's one area where there has to be a significant recalibration. Yeah, I mean, the optics are important, even yeah. if not the impact. That's right. Um, lots of food for thought there. I've got to get going and interview loads more people throughout the day. But Rupert, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolute pleasure. So we've hopped from business to academia to policy to engaging the general public and now we're coming on to sport. I'm delighted to be joined by a representative for the Green Runners um, this morning, something that as much as I respect, it's never going to be me running laps around Parliament Square. So it'd be great to hear a little bit more about the Green Runners and what you're up to this weekend. Great. So hi, I'm David from the Green Runners. I'm one of the founding members. So we're a community group making changes for a fitter planet. Um, so it's all about how can we galvanise the running community to get involved and get active, make changes personally and take personal pledges, but then actually use the collective community of runners globally to push for much bigger changes. Things like from brands, from races that we get to take part in, and then also from the governments that we inevitably need action from too. Great, and we know the running community has been working on air pollution for years now. Do you think that this is like a natural continuation of that work? Yeah, 100%. Um, as runners, we always like to breathe clean air when we're running around, and you know that's closely linked to fossil fuel burning, and so climate change also affects us. And you also see the effects directly of climate change, like extreme heat. We can't run outside in summer when it's 40 degrees. So um, if the places that we run in, we, we, we need it to be uh, better, really. Of course, and this weekend there's something else special happening in London, which is the London Marathon. So how are you guys working with, with them? Yeah, so funnily enough, um, we've had contact with London Marathon before. We've campaigned quite heavily to get them to be better because they've had race t-shirts that are these you know, cheap quality, people have hundreds of them. It's really closely linked to fast fashion. This year, for the first year, after much lobbying, they've actually opted, uh, they've provided a opt-out option and you can plant a tree instead of choosing the t-shirt through a company called Trees Not Tees. Um, and actually their founding members of Tree Not Tees are part of the Green Runners as well. So we've, we've hopefully had some influence there and a couple of our members have worked with London Marathon events uh, as well. So yeah, we're, we're really happy they've started making changes, but we think there's more that they can do. Of course, and in the meantime, I know you guys are doing a slightly shorter run than the 20 plus miles. So what are you guys up to in Parliament Square tomorrow? Yeah, so tomorrow morning, just to show our solidarity with the big one protests, um, we're doing two hours of doing laps of Parliament Square, trying to get around 100 laps in, which will be around 25k in total. Um, there'll be probably about 20 of us from the Green Runners, including Damien Hall, who's a GB elite athlete um, for ultra running. He's just come back from winning the spine race in, in January, which is a 268 mile race uh, across the Pennines in, in the north of England. Well, obviously, massive good luck for that. And I hope the weather clears up a bit for you. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. Thank you.
Great, so I'm delighted to have our first CEO of the day. I have Russ Avery here on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. How's it been so far? Yeah, pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, it's been great so far. Uh, we've only been here for about 20 minutes, but already the energy uh, is totally inspiring and the weather's not, not getting anyone down, which is great. That's all you need, really. I mean, we've had the Bee Gees, which I've mentioned. We've also had some drumming and some spoken word and some improv as well. And we're joined by tons of business leaders. Are you surprised to see so many here with Vista Clares? Um, I am. I was really confident that we'd get maybe 100 people, but I think there are over 300 people here today, which is just phenomenal. And, you know, we're all here representing the business side of sustainability. We're all uh, business leaders, business owners and employees who work for companies that have publicly declared a climate and ecological crisis. And it's just so great to see everyone out in force today. Great. And for people that aren't familiar with your business, maybe a quick potted introduction. And then from there, what what moved you to make that declaration of emergency? Sure. So um, we're Avery and Brown. We're a sustainable brand marketing and creative agency. Uh, we're a small business based in Farnham in Surrey. And we work with other sustainability focused businesses who share our vision for a better world. And um, the answer to why we're here today is actually very simple. So we founded the business with sustainability at its core. Um, so it's been core to our business since day one. Um, we've wanted to be a business which gives back more to the planet, people and the planet than it takes. And um, coming here today was a no brainer because we've been supporters of Business Declares uh, for over a year now. Excellent. Well, I'm sure you'll be very busy, um, so I'll let you get cracking in a moment, but it'd be great to dig into that a little bit more because like brand work and marketing is notoriously like a minefield um, for greenwashing. So if you could give us a flavour of like your ethos and what sort of businesses you're working with at the moment. Sure. So great point. So historically, marketing has obviously been a massive part of the problem. Um, as a sustainable marketing agency, we're trying to be the solution to a new age of marketing, which has sustainability, ethics and morals at its core. Um, we only work with other sustainability focused businesses that share our vision and our values. Um, and uh, yeah, it's great to see the movement kind of continuing to grow. There are more and more truly sustainable marketing agencies uh, popping up now and we're trying to help people avoid greenwash, uh, which is a prevalent problem. None of us will work with companies that are greenwashing, so we'll dig into them a little bit before we agree to work with them. And yeah. Yeah, and I know it's not just you guys because I keep getting so many press releases about can this summer coming up about traveling by train, not getting people to buy stuff they don't need, buying stuff from companies that aren't greenwashing. So it's good to see it, that it's a real movement at the moment. Absolutely. And um, I guess I forgot to say there are two elements to being a sustainable marketing agency. One is obviously the clients you choose to work with and the ones you choose not to work with. But the other one is how sustainable you are as a business yourself and whether you choose to walk the walk as an agency. And that's something that we try and do every day at Avery and Brown. So we're looking to move beyond sustainability towards being regenerative. And uh, I'm hoping to do a talk about that at two o'clock today, I believe. So, yeah. Great. Well, maybe I can catch another soundbite with you later. But for now, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's time to move beyond sustainability and embrace regenerative business practices. For far too long, traditional business models have prioritized profit above all else. This approach is no longer viable, and it hasn't been for decades. While sustainable business practice does indeed represent progress, it's still not enough. We need businesses that are regenerative, 
businesses that give back more to society and the planet than they take. As purpose-driven business leaders, we must constantly ask ourselves, is the world a better place because our business exists? I believe this question should serve as our daily guiding principle. I'm delighted to have another CEO and founder here today. Um, I have Mairead Cahill, founder of Wonder Rooms. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. It's great to see you out here in the rain today. Thanks, Sarah. Great to be here with you. Great. And I know I know all about Wonder Room, but for those listening who are like, what on earth is that? Um, <laughs> can we have a quick introduction, please? Sure. So Wonder Room is about helping businesses, progressive businesses, to create scale and communicate nature positive action so it's about going beyond just a myopic view on net zero and actually looking at how we work with nature as well because ultimately this is a nature and climate crisis that we're facing yeah so there's a lot of banners here saying like no fossil fuels and we're outside the department for energy security and net zero but are you happy with the amount of nature stuff and nature conversations that you're seeing here as well not uh, not as much as I'd like to see, but there is, of course, biodiversity day tomorrow, so there's a lot of focus on that. And ultimately, if we think about what today is about, which is, for me, one of the most important things being calling for the end of no new licences for fossil fuels and no further financing by UK banks of new fossil fuels. That feels like a really important central message that links to both climate and nature, and it's also really important for business. Yeah, this is a call that's been coming seemingly from everyone for decades. We've seen the Exxon New reports, we've seen it from scientists. Scientists and students have been out at these protests for years now. Why do you think now there's so much of a growing business movement out on the streets? I think it's because business is starting to really recognise in a bigger way just how substantially dependent it is on a functioning, uh, you know, a functioning world, a functioning society, and that's fundamentally dependent on us working in a more constructive way on climate and on nature. And I think business is really waking up to that in a bigger way. And we've seen that through the response to Save Our Wild Isles just released this week. We've seen it through our Make Our Money Matter latest campaign just released this week. So I think there's more and more awareness and also a sense of growing urgency and need for action. Yeah, and what better way to do that by getting a Game of Thrones actor to yes. literally kiss the fossil fuel industry on the yeah, lips indeed. Um, in a little commercial for that Make My Money Matter. Exactly. And I think that's where also business, beyond it seeing itself, um, as needing to make change, it's also coming under just so much more increasing visibility and pressure um, by by the broader business community, but also by by consumers as well, and that's good to see. Yeah, I think businesses are realising that a lot of them have done the get your own house in order bit. It's now seeming to be for a lot of people about how to be a brand activist and how to work with partners. Is that true of what you're seeing in your work? Yeah, I think I think that's right. Um, I think that still though, it's about really being very very crystal clear as business on what not just what are you committing to by 2030 and 2050 what are you actually doing now and how are you moving towards impact quickly and not just sort of knocking it down further down the football pitch um, to sort out tomorrow and I think we're still seeing quite a lot of that to be honest yeah I mean thankfully we're hearing a lot of language about transition here that it's not just stopping something it's working towards something better exactly and I think what's really encouraging back to your uh, opening point Sarah is that often people think about the big one in connection with sort of activists and you know and and citizens but actually what we're seeing here is a really large turnout from business over 350 business leaders outside um, the department for energy this morning and i think that speaks to the level of um connection and interest that business and, and you know more enlightened business leaders are taking around the need for action great well i hope the rest of the business community is watching and listening thank you so much for your time thank you sarah Thank <laughs> you.
had a brief pause that you won't appear unglamorous to go and get coffee to warm my hands up and I'm with someone who has actually had to do the same but has miso soup. Um, I'm delighted to be joined by Bron from the Finisterre team. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How has today been so far for Finisterre? Oh, it's been great. Really exhilarating, energizing being amongst community and seeing just a lot of people taking to the streets and demanding change. Yeah, and I understand that you've been hosting some special stuff at one of your stores in London to prepare for this. I've been told that there's been some banners and also some some whales. Uh, Yes, we had a whale song bath this morning, which was my first time, uh, but was unforgettable. Actually quite incredible. I learned that whales with teeth make different noises than whales without teeth. Um, We learned that there's some whales that have never actually been sighted. They've only ever been heard. Uh, So it was really quite incredible and a great way to ground us in why we were here today, which is all about saving the seas. Great. And I'm here today with the person who actually does the Finisterre podcast um, and the person that's partly responsible for that partnership about Wales. So, Larry, could you tell us a little bit more about the Sea Shepherd partnership? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Well, um, the Sea Shepherd, for those who don't know, another noise and sirens pass, peaceful protest in place. Yeah. Sea Shepherd are arguably some of the more more radical kind of um, folk and organisations policing our seas. They uh, they they span the seas, so they 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 can serve and protect across um, the UK, France, Spain, Africa, the US. Um, Our partnership with them exists off a mutual love of the sea and a a want to protect it. And um, yeah, uh, what we do as a business is, is back their campaign work. Um, share their messages, their sentiment and their kind of relationship with the sea and um, it's something that's incredibly important that we do and empower our audience and customers to do the, to do the same. So in turn we play that kind of nice conduit between grassroots activism, bigger activism and, um, and people power. Great and do you have any advice on being an activist brand other than you know getting out and actually getting involved when there's protests like today's in your city? Well, well, exactly, exactly that. Actually, getting out and, and taking a stand and being heard is is one thing, and it's it takes uh, takes a little direction. And um, today, that's come from XR, Extinction Rebellion. But um, uh, one thing we talk about a lot is just being brave. Uh, brave as a brand, brave as an individual, uh, and brave as a collective of people. And um, I think that's what today kind of like is is very visible. It's you know, it takes standing on the side of a road or. Um, uh, and you know, there's, there's an awful lot of uh, folk here who would have done this before, but also a lot of people who are doing it for the first time. So, um, yes, yeah, I'd pin a lot of that being on, on being brave and being um, and being hopeful. Do you have anything to add to that? I see you nodding. Well, I think just especially for brands, like make sure you've got your house in order, and it needs to be authentic to you. So, not every brand needs to be an activist brand. We need activists as individuals, but certainly if it's authentic and true to who you are as a brand, and for us it goes all the way back to the beginning, then I think you can feel really confident. And you know, no, there's no such thing as perfect in sustainability or activism. And so we, there were some people questioning why we we're here today, and we feel really confident that you know if we try and split the conversation and divide the people who are all fighting for a better planet, then that's not going to serve any of us and so we're proud to be here proud to be standing alongside all of the 30 plus charity partners um, and and we know we can do so from a confident base of it being authentic to us great well we spoke on this podcast earlier about how the climate majority is a majority most people do care but it's yeah that keep 
keeping us apart and that not knowing how to act that's the problem. So I think that's a great note to end on. Thank you very much, Bron and Larry, for your time. Thank you. Okay, so as you can probably tell from the lack of wind and background noise, I'm now firmly back at home after a total whirlwind of a day. I will say that calling this event the big one was not an overstatement. There were gatherings similar to the one outside Desnes, outside all major government department buildings. I spotted for myself some regenerative farmers outside of DEFRA and some former Team GB athletes outside DCMS. Looking at the schedule, there were also authors picketing on Tufton Street, opposing fossil fuel lobbying and climate denial tactics. At the centre of it all, of course, were the Houses of Parliament and Westminster Abbey, and lining the streets there were dozens of stalls where you could pick up vegan food, make your own poster or collect stickers, and they lined the sidelines as a huge procession came through in late afternoon, which I was lucky enough to witness alongside Edie's producer, Jade, Jade Burnett. Extinction Rebellion's Red Rebels were there in their dozens with their white face paint and their red robes. There were a group of people dressed as airport marshallers in high-vis jackets calling for an end to airport expansion in the UK. There were families dressed as bees highlighting the decline of insect populations. And as you'll have heard throughout this episode, there were drummers, brass bands, singers and bagpipes too. Before we did leave Desnes and try and catch the procession, we did try and get some comments from the people working at Desnes, um, but sadly they said we'd need to go to the media office for official lines as people were encouraged not to personally comment. So that's what I did, and a media office representative at Desnes told me, quote, While we respect the right to protest, people's day-to-day lives should not be disrupted and criminal activity will not be tolerated, and neither will demands on the government issued in this way. Those protesting fail to recognise our world-leading efforts towards achieving net zero, including cutting our emissions by 48% whilst growing the economy by 65% between 1990 and 2021. The transition to low-carbon energy sources cannot happen overnight, and this is recognised by the Independent Climate Change Committee. It bears noting here that the emissions reduction levels quoted by the spokesperson relate to the UK's domestic emissions. So this is all of the greenhouse gases that are produced within UK borders, not including emissions embedded in goods and services which the UK imports. Organisations like WWF have noted that because the UK is a net importer, um, the government should maybe not be using that statistic because most of the progress reflecting in that statistic is to do with the power sector, which is, of course, crucially important, but it's not the only sector that needs to decarbonise. The general consensus from the streets today has been that the government can call itself a world leader on climate or nature based on past efforts, but that future progress, in line with what science tells us is necessary, is not guaranteed, hence the pressure on the policymakers. I'm going to close out this special audio feature with a recording from the Climate Choir, who Jade and I did indeed manage to see on that procession. Thank you so much for tuning in.